Welcome to CBO Speaks, the official podcast of the National Association of College and University Business Officers. I'm President and CEO John Walda, and I'd like to thank you for tuning in today. Our mission with this podcast is to have chief business officers reflect on their careers and offer personal examples of how they have navigated difficult situations and learn from their experiences as a CBO. You can find resources for today's episode, as well as a wide variety of research and tools at nakubo.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to CBO Speaks. Thanks so much for tuning in today. My name is Megan Strand, your host for today, and I am honored to be joined by Nikki Krawitz, who is a higher education consultant with over 30 years of experience. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Megan. It sounds like you have had an absolutely fascinating career path. So today, what we're hoping to do is dig into your journey just a little bit. And you shared that your career was unplanned and unpredictable. Can you start by telling us where that career began? Because it was a really different place than where you ended up. Yes. So uh, my original uh, undergraduate and graduate degrees were in education and special education, and I worked with children with learning and language problems, and I did that for about uh, 10 years and then took some time off. And when I went back uh, to the workforce, I decided to, it's a long story, but just to make it short, I decided to uh, get a master's degree in accounting accounting. And, uh, and so that's what I did. Uh, and when, with the idea of becoming, um, uh, you know, professional, a CPA and going out and, and doing auditing and accounting. And when I completed, uh, my a master's in accountancy, uh, a friend of mine was teaching at a small women's college, uh, in Columbia, Missouri, Stevens college. And she said, you know, with your background in education, uh, you and your degree in accountancy, I think you might really be interested in the job I'm about to resign from, which was teaching accounting and finance to women. And so I, at the time, that seemed like a good uh, thing to do. Uh, and it just sort of presented itself. And so after I finished my degree and got my um, CPA, um, or pass the CPA exam, I went to work at Stevens College te- as a faculty member uh, teaching accounting and finance. Think back a little bit to that time when you were uh, in, in special education and working with kids with special needs. What do, you, what do you think that the key skills you learned during that 10-year period of your life, what did you learn there that you sort of took with you into your next iteration of your career? Because being a CPA and a special education professional, those are really different skill sets. Well, it's sort of interesting because in some ways they're very different. In other ways, they're not. Uh, One of the things that I did in my profession working with children with learning and language problems was uh, diagnostic work. So I did a lot of analytical work. And and then, of course, the follow-up preparation of a teaching plan um, involved Taking that analysis and uh, and problem solving, deciding how to approach the teaching and learning process. So uh, so analytical skills uh, really crossed both professions. I think different kind of analytical skills, but but analytical nonetheless. And that's the part I really enjoyed about it. Uh, the other thing that, of course, I took with me uh, into the teaching of uh, accounting and finance, and then later on to my interactions 
with uh, various constituencies like board members and faculty members uh, was how important it is to communicate uh, what it is that you do in a way that others can understand it. So we, the premise that uh, we used in working with children with learning and language problems was uh, not that they couldn't learn, but that we had to figure out how to teach them so that they could learn. And so I feel the same way about teaching others about accounting and finance in higher education in that it's not that they can't understand it, it's presenting it in a way that is accessible to them. I'm sure that helped you quite a bit because I think so often in education, you, you get the sense that, well, if these, these people aren't learning it the way that I'm teaching it, there's something wrong with the student versus the approach and the methodology. So I love that you have that really well-rounded look at, at approaching a problem from, from different angles. Talk a little bit about how your career started taking a turn toward the CBO role. So I was a faculty member at Stevens uh, in the business department. I was teaching accounting and finance and business ethics. And I was approached by the then um, what would have been the provost, dean of faculty, uh, she was called, Mary Ketterman. And she asked me if I would be interested in uh, serving in a, a position in the dean's office that um, would be sort of a faculty um, internship posi- position as a as associate dean of faculty, uh, doing uh, various projects such as institutional research. Again, analytical is something that I was interested in, and so um, I agreed to do that. Um, and I continued to teach a little bit uh, in the business department, but then also fulfilled some of these responsibilities um, in the on the academic administrative side. Uh, I was, uh, as I mentioned, I did, when you're at a small college, you do just about everything that needs to be done because there are a few people, but they're all, all the same functions. And so I did institutional research. I directed a, a program, a distance learning program. Uh, those were among the things that, that I was involved in. And then the position of vice president for finance and administration opened up. And I had been uh, in the dean's office for a couple of years, and the president of the institution, Patsy Sampson, uh, asked me if I would consider applying for the position of vice president for finance and administration. I felt that that was, at the time, a bit out of my comfort zone. I wasn't sure I had the background and experience to be able to do that. Uh, The chair of the finance committee of the board was, at that time, uh, Jim McGill, who went on to be the uh, chief B, uh, business officer, finance officer at Johns Hopkins, but he was at the University of Missouri at the time, and and I talked to him, and he encouraged me uh, to to pursue it, and so I applied for the position, and I was appointed the vice president for finance and administration at this small women's college, where uh, I had responsibility for all of the finance and administrative functions, and then also worked on things like uh, enrollment management and financial aid. So again, sort of expanding uh, the areas that I had um, uh, an understanding of. I have a very broad knowledge of a lot of things, probably not much depth in many things. And I did that for three years. And when I decided that I wanted to uh, move on and do something different, um, I approached uh, Jim and asked him if he would be a reference. And he agreed to do that. And uh, he came back, called me the next day and said, you know, I could, couldn't ask you uh, to do this uh, because I'm on the board 
uh, of the of the women's college. But since you approach me and you're going to leave anyway, I'd be interested in bringing you to the University of Missouri. And again, to make make a long story short, I went to work for Jim uh, in a position called consultant to the executive vice president and uh, and had um, two projects initially. Uh, one project was um, uh, working on um, strategic planning for our hospitals and health system, and the other, which I had no background in, and the other was uh, working on business process redesign and looking at replacing our legacy systems with, uh, ER, with an ERP system. And so I had responsibility for that at, at the system level. Uh, and so that gave me a lot of opportunity to learn about the four campuses, to learn about the health system, uh, which served me well later. It sounds like you have a knack for big challenges, biting off big challenges, putting yourself in situations where maybe you don't have all of the the background on paper that you might think you might need for those positions, but obviously you've been very successful at doing so. What do you think has made you so successful at taking on those big challenges? What what sorts of strategies did you use to make those those things work well? Well, I think, first of all, you have to make sure that you're surrounded by lots of people who are intelligent uh, and who have uh, and who know more than you do so that you can tap into their their knowledge. Uh, second, and, and so I was able to do that both um, from people that I interact with, for, with the consulting firms that uh, I was the liaison for, for both of those large projects, the health system project and the business process redesign. And then my, my, curio- my natural curiosity and desire to learn about things that were beyond what um, sort of I immediately knew. Can you look back on your career at resources that were particularly helpful when you found yourself in a situation where you said, wow, I don't really know much about this at all, outside of the consultants that maybe you were working with? Well, I would say the consultants were, were a big resource um, because you know they br- bring a lot of expertise to the table. So uh, when you're working with them, you have the opportunity to learn those things. Definitely the uh, professional development programs that were offered through Nakubo. Um, and its um, associated organizations. Uh, for example, when I, I had the opportunity to move into the position of vice president for finance and administration at the Small Women's College, one of the things that Jim McGill suggested that I do immediately was to take advantage of a Wakubo program that was for a leadership development program. And I applied for that program and participated in that. But so it was those kinds of programs going to things like uh, the endowment programs and the accounting programs uh, where you interacted with other professionals and uh, and then also had the opportunity to take advantage of the content that was provided in those programs. What would you say as you as you look over your career, what can you describe a big challenge that you faced and maybe how you overcame that challenge? It depends on what you mean by, by a challenge. Um, I guess that can be defined in, in all kinds of ways. When I was at the Small Women's College, for example, uh, they had the president that hired me uh, uh, into the role of vice president for finance administration uh, decided to retire and a new president was hired. And uh, in the beginning, we got along very well. And then after about a year or two, uh, the relationship uh, appeared to be going nowhere. And that was, and so I had to decide what to do about that, whether to uh, try to stay 
and work it through or whether to accept the fact that it wasn't working and look for something else. And it was at that time when I met with Jim McGill, and he was a great mentor for me because he gave me some great advice at the time. He said, you know, a a board hires a president and charges that president with putting together their team. And when they put together the team, it may not – they want to put together the people who they want to work with. And it may be that you're not that person. You shouldn't take that personally, um, and you should just think about what your opportunities are. And so that's advice that I took, and that's what um, was the impetus for me to move to the university, which turned out to be one of the best moves I could have made. It's advice that I've given to others um, that I work with, I have worked with over time, uh, and have mentored, which is to take opportunities like that as opportunities and as challenges and not as defeats. And speaking of presidents, it, it sounds like you worked with six different presidents over the course of your career. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned from, from working with that amount of presidents? Yeah, so I worked with more than six different presidents over the course of my career, but I worked with six different presidents in the 13 years I was the chief financial officer at the University of Missouri. So even more. <laughs> even even more. I even worked with more. So I have some insight into leadership styles of, uh, of different presidents. Um, there is a quote that I used last year in a TED talk that I did for Nakubo, which is, um, blessed are the flexible, uh, for um, they shall not be bent out of shape. And I think that's the, the message that uh, I carried with me in working with those six different presidents. Each had a different style. Uh, each had different requirements. And so, again, I had the my the, the challenge for me was to be able to respond to those different styles in a way that uh, served them and still protected the my own integrity and my own ethical system. Uh, but you might have one president who um, believed that you should uh, have strong relationships with members of the board and particularly with the chairs of the committees that you serviced and that you should have direct interaction with those uh, uh, people. And yet you might have another president, which I did, who felt that the interactions with the board um, w- between board meetings was Uh, his responsibility, and that we interacted with board members at our own risk. And so we were encouraged not to interact with them. And and so one had to to understand that, you know, that was the president's prerogative. Uh, It didn't work well, but it was the president's prerogative. And and so one had to to adapt to that. Uh, You had presidents who um, were, um, wanted to, review everything that you did down to the the way that things were worded and other presidents who delegated a tremendous amount of authority and backed you regardless. And so you had to be able to respond to those different kinds of um, approaches uh, to, to, to management. When you were talking about the interaction with the board, let's say as an example, and you, you had really different ends of the spectrum, how did you walk that middle ground for you? You said that you have to figure out how to do things in a way that are compliant with what the president wants, but still maintains your own integrity. So in the example of the board, where you had two totally opposite spectrums, how, how did you do that and still maintain your own personal integrity? Clearly, if the board member contacted me, I would have interaction with the board in, in any case. Uh, I would always, in both situations, uh, always let the president know that I had had contact with the board member and what the nature of that contact was. 
because I think that's important for the president to be able to do uh, their job is for them to know what kinds of interaction their staff is having with the board and what the kinds of issues that board members are raising. Um, the And then just to make sure uh, where the president didn't where, what I found to be most effective in working with boards was that um, prepping board members before board mem- meetings was very important uh, so that you as um, a staff person understood what their concerns and questions were so that you could be prepared at the board meeting. When you didn't have that opportunity inter- to interact with them ahead of time, it was difficult to know what their concerns and questions were going to be. And so you it was easy to be caught by surprise. Um, In that case, then, you still had to um, protect the president and at the same time be responsive uh, to the board. Uh, And that was a challenge. So you mentioned that one of the greatest resources you turned to throughout your career were consultants. And now you fill those shoes. You are one of those consultants. So what challenges are you seeing in, in the folks you're working with now? What are what are the commonalities and challenges that, that your clients are facing? The focus in some ways has changed, but but hasn't changed. So, you know, early on my interaction was working with consultants in strategic planning for our health system and then also working uh, with um, uh, an ER implementation of an ERP system. The kinds of projects that I'm working with, um, with the uh, clients that I'm engaged with, have really more to do with um, the new business model, with budgeting, with coming up with new budget models, uh, with the role of the chief financial officer, uh, with educating um, uh various constituencies in terms of particularly senior leadership teams or faculty in terms of how to use information, uh, particularly budget information in the planning process uh, and in sort of strategic planning. Um, but the so the issues today really have to do with uh, how they've always had to do with how do we use our resources in the most effective way possible. Uh, today, they really have to do with the fact that there are tremendous constraints on resources and how do we use those resources in the best way possible uh, and um, grow in a way that um, serves the mission of the institution. Do you th- is there anything with your clients, though, that as you look at them, you think, I wish they could just see X? Or is there anything in common that they have just based on the fact that you have a lot more experience probably than, than the folks you're working with? Anything you can you can think of there? Not really. I, they're just all different. They're they're all different. Uh, you know, I think that I do a lot of uh, workshops on finance and budgeting with higher education associations, with uh, through AGB, through Nakubo, through ACE, and I think the the general theme that is that. Um, my feeling is is that everyone has a responsibility to understand the finances of their institution uh, in order to exercise responsible leadership. And um, one of the notions that, uh, and I can't remember who the who I'm quoting, I mean, who the, what the source is, but it's this notion of um, exercising leadership beyond your scope of authority. So, uh, you know, generally people who are in the academic area think about leadership in academic programs. 
But in order to provide leadership and academic programs and to lead beyond your scope of authority, you have to understand where are the resources being spent and, and what's the best way to spend those resources in order to deliver those programs. And what kind of programs can we deliver with quality given the constraints on resources that we have? So I like the notion of people having knowledge about areas uh, that they don't normally think that they need to have knowledge about because it allows them to lead beyond their scope of authority. How do you recommend people do that? I mean, sometimes they might not even know what questions to ask if it's really out of their realm of of, of understanding. So how do you how do you recommend people do that? There are a lot of materials out there that are available to uh, to people. Uh, about higher education finance, about questions that you can ask about budgeting. Nakubo produces some of those. AGB produces some of those. Um, and they they have questions built in. You know, if you're looking at a financial statement, these are the questions you should ask. If you're looking at a budget, these are the things you know, and these are the questions that you should ask. So with the internet today and the ability to go online and, and Google things, there really is no excuse for, for people not asking the questions that they need to ask in order to develop the understanding. How much of the CBO role is it to do that outreach and try to provide some of that education, do you think? I, I think it's one of the most important roles that a CBO plays, and and that is to uh, educate uh the people within the um, environment in which they they work and live uh, about the finances of the institution. I'm a big believer that CBO should not be looked on as the person who controls the purse strings. The CBO should be the chief financial officer should be look at, looked at as the person who understands where the resources are. Uh, what the impact on the resources would be from implementing specific programs and being able to convey that information to the various constituencies so that the best decisions can be made about how to use those resources. I don't think it's the role of the CFO or the CBO to be the one to make those decisions. I think the CBO and CFO participates in making those decisions by bringing uh, information about the resources, but what the um, best way to use those resources to achieve the academic research outreach mission of the institution is, I think, is a is a much bigger question demanding uh, decisions by um, collaboratively between the academic and administration, the student services administration, the chancellor or president, and the board. Your favorite quote is from Einstein saying the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. How does this relate to your career? Well, I think oftentimes we just think that if we uh, do something harder and we do it more and we do it better, that thing, something different will come from that. And, uh, and I don't think that that's the case. And I think a lot of what's happening in higher education today with the change in the business model is that uh, many people think and that if we just um, keep on doing what we've been doing, that we'll suddenly have the resources that we need uh, to be successful. 
and we'll be able to recruit and retain more students and uh, we'll be able to achieve the mission of the institution. And I think that we have to change our approach. I mean, this is what disruptive innovation is all about. It's, it's not doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. It's doing different things than we've done in the past and expecting different results. Well, it certainly sounds like you have embraced that throughout your entire career. So thank you so much for sharing uh, this time today and your story. It's been absolutely a delight. Well, thank you, Megan, for having me. And for all of you listening, thank you for tuning in today. I hope that you have learned something from Nikki today. I certainly have. And you can find out more about Nikki in today's episode by visiting the distance learning section of nakubo.org. Make sure you subscribe to CBO Speaks in iTunes so you don't miss an episode. And on behalf of Nikki and myself, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us today for this episode of CBO Speaks. And we'll talk to you next time. Music.